Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I forgot not to say hello. <laughs> hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. This week, we pick up where we left off in part two with the cool, the calm, the collected Kalia Neal. Special shout out to the director of The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Joe Talbot, on his DGA nomination for First Feature Film. So, okay, we do get super real and super raw this week. We talk about the hardships that producers face, the never-ending imposter syndrome, and not always feeling supported because mentorship can be hard to come by. It's tricky to reveal where you're still growing, but sometimes that's the only way we can blossom. seem as though those who have made it don't really have the same struggles as those of us who are still trying to make it. And this conversation reminded me that that is so far from the truth. So if you are listening and you feel alone or isolated in your journey, I am here to remind you that you are not alone. It's hard for all of us, no matter what discipline of the business you choose, and no matter how seamless Instagram can make someone else's path seem. So just remember that and stay the course. Deal? Let's hear from Kalia. It, it, it was rough. So when what happens when you're at a studio is like you're kind of at one of the center points of the business. So all the hot specs or hot, all the new directors everybody's excited about, like the flow of information, who you should be reading, what you should be reading. You know, it's all about like knowing who... Who got next? Like, who are we excited about as a business? Like, all of that just evaporated. You yeah. know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to be reading? Like, who's new? Like, how am I supposed to be staying up on these things? I'm no longer a part of that, like, nucleus that just gets that information. And certainly me as a, a junior level producer is like, no agent is like calling me like, hey, Kalia, this is what we want you to know. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That That's just like, not... what are you doing in the, yeah. you know, next year? You want to come on and produce? Right. Thing? No one's calling Like, me. that's not happening for me. So it was challenging. Uh, and then I was having like imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? Mm, like, yes. Talk about uh, that. <laughs> which is it, it was just kind of like, how am I saying I'm a producer? I've never produced anything. Not only am I kidding everyone else, am I even kidding myself? I don't know that I even believe this. Yeah. How do I know that I'm capable of this? That never goes away, that imposter syndrome. Nope. <laughs> Especially for women. Yeah, it's like you're as good as the ne- the last thing you've done. Mm-hmm. And even the last thing you did, you can still be like, but did I do that? Did I actually do that? Yeah. Was it that good? It won awards. People said it was good, but I don't know. You just lose the temperature gauge, which I think it's why it's so important to have a community of people in your life. Yes. Who can keep you in check. You know, when you're like spiraling out of control, like the amount of friends I have called, you know, when I'm in that zone or people call you. And when you're sort of in the same place, it's very easy to see like, oh, boo boo, like you're just spiraling right now because you're like, it takes three things not happening right. for you to question everything and doubt that anything has ever mattered or exists. Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. It's terrible. And luckily, like God bless my husband. He has had to hear it mm. at every, I mean, we've been together since we were in college. So he's heard. Congrats. That's <laughs> awesome. Thanks. He has heard the complaints. He has seen the tears. He has seen the frustration and how overwhelmed I've been 
by this pursuit. He has seen it all. And thank God I had him every day to basically act as a diary and a journal for me to get (laughs) all of these emotions out because it I mean it's tough like people I think look at the fact that now like I've produced a movie with A24 and Plan B and which is the last black man in San Francisco yes the last black man in San Francisco which will come out next year oh my gosh you have to tell us about it the road there has been hard as hell Mm mm-hmm And there's like literally no better way to describe it. It's like basically also just like teaching yourself everything you need to know. I never had like a mentor in this business who, I mean, other than Tia very early on, but you know, Tia works Mm -hmm. in docs. So very different, very different. And like, so in the scripted space, not knowing what you don't know. And as the producer, not feeling like you have a safe space unless you have a community of other producers to ask those questions. And when I was just starting out, I did not have a community of producers to ask questions of. Yeah, You know what I mean? I had no one. Everyone that I could think of, I was jeopardizing I feel like how they saw me if I mm. asked this question. Oh my God, you're <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. I can't tell you how many times I've had that. And what's frustrating is the only way you grow and you learn is by asking because no one knows everything. And the more that I started rising up and working in features and working with impressive companies and people that were very impressive, I started to realize like, oh shit, like they don't know what they're doing. Yes. So it's okay if I show my cards a little bit and go, actually, no, I've, I've never done this. Actually, no, I've never worked in a full union show. I don't know what that means. No, I don't know this contract. Right. To have that safe space is so rare and mentorship. And it's honestly one of my goals with this, with this podcast is to create a community where maybe people can email anonymous questions. I don't know. And, and so we can get over that hump and really help each other because I think that's how we not only rise up, but we create fellow warriors out right. there who are all coming and approaching it from the same place, especially with set life and set culture and set etiquette, which I think is so important. Absolutely. Because I feel like there is always like the gotcha moment in this business is for someone to like point at you and be like, you don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a part of that is, yes, I think in your head as it relates to imposter syndrome. But like a part of it is real. There are people who are looking to tell you, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the reality is they probably don't (laughs) either. Yes, exactly. Or there's some other big thing that they do because maybe they have a different job title that they don't know. Yes. And maybe someone else has always done it for them. Absolutely. I mean, I have to give hats off to my friend Alana Mayo also, who is a VP at uh, Paramount and now runs Michael B. Jordan's production Yes, yes, yes. has been a super safe space for me as well. Like I can ask her anything. And sometimes she doesn't know she's a studio exec for the most part now. Um, so something she doesn't know, cause she just it hasn't acted as a producer. And like, she's the first to tell me like, nobody knows anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, you're under you're underselling yourself. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, you know what the fuck you're talking about, you know, way more than most people, mm-hmm. you know, and have confidence and trust that. But it took me a while to get to that place of like having And it's that also confidence. like it's it's the attitude of like I don't know but I'm going to find out. Yes. I don't know but I'm going to be humble enough to then maybe ask the people that know. The more the people coming up underneath us can see that it creates that space where like, yes, we're all here to guide each other through this. And because producing is so different across television, docs, narrative space that what a producer does and one of those things, you can have the exact same title and be doing something completely different. Absolutely. So I work with a lot of people that kind of cross, you know, jump around different formats. And even with like, for example, production coordinators that'll come from the television world 
and I'm expecting them to do X, Y, Z because I'm in the feature world. And they're like, oh no, I don't even know how to do that. So here I am assuming because this is what I'm used to, but they don't even know how to do that. And they could pretend and said that they did. And I would have learned, which has happened before. And we had to let go of that person. Yeah. You know, you find out like two, three weeks into prep, like, oh, like you haven't been doing this. Well, I never do that. This is what's normal where I come from in the indie space. That's normally what a coordinator does. Every project is so unique and every team is so unique that even if you've worked with the same people, like I said, you have the same title. It's not until you get in a room and you can talk to everybody and be like, how are we going to delegate this and make sure that everybody's on the same page? Oh, a hundred percent. Like yeah. that literally is explains the experience I had on the movie I just produced, yeah. which is like everybody's coming with different experiences, mm-hmm. different backgrounds, different backgrounds exactly. and different expectations and different, you know, frame of references yes. in terms of normalcy. Yeah. I now always have a meeting at the beginning, the first week of prep when everybody from the production team has started. And I go, well, what are you used to doing? What are you used to doing? Great. Well, here's what you're going to be doing on this project. Absolutely. I feel like another way that I was able to self-teach was as I did start producing at lunch, trying to talk to a different like group position. Mm. Every lunch, sit with the group team, you know, sit with the electric team sit with production design, you know, just to get a better idea. Like the the more you know about what everybody does, the better you can do your job as mm-hmm. a onset producer, especially. I feel like in that, that also helped me learn what producers do. And then also troubleshooting. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain problems that maybe I encountered on like the first short I produced, but I like, I'll never encounter again. Because you learn from that. Yeah. You learn from it and you know, like these are the things to look out for. But it, it is a scary journey being like in the trenches of self teaching. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you don't know what you don't know and you're just like hoping shit works out. Yeah. To a degree. But you're tr- trying to be as diligent and forward thinking as possible. But there will always be something that you didn't think of, you know? And that was the scariest thing. The one thing, though, I will say that I did learn that was a positive is that there are so many creatives out there that need support and help. Mm. And by the nature of saying I was a producer, God damn it. People were like, great. Here you go. Here help you me. go. Help I don't know me. what I'm doing. Yeah. Help me. You know what I mean? Yes. Like literally, so people who want to be producers are always like, oh, I want to be a producer. Like, what do I do? I'm like, start producing. Like, yeah. go find a creative who needs some help and help them get their whatever done. Whatever it is. Whatever yeah. it is. Help them get it done because that's how you will learn. And honestly, that's how people will see you. Yeah. It, it, it is almost the kind of like you say you're that until you are, whatever the saying. Like, yeah. You fake it till you make yeah, it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. I think it's more like you're figuring it out until you make it, you know? Yes. There are producers who do fake it. And that's the danger, too, is there are a lot of people, especially when you start out, you go to those kind of douchey networking events and everybody's got a business card and everybody's talking about the eight things that are in development, which is like, what does that even mean? Right. And there is the danger of the person who just talks and doesn't do the walk. And in my opinion, the producers that are actually working or figuring shit out can't make those networking events. Absolutely. Most of the time. I mean, I'm not poo-pooing on it I think that there's value just be careful they're not really interested in helping people they just love the feeling of saying they're producers because that that title carries so much power perceived power anyway especially for people who don't know what that really means totally new people green people in the industry oh man it's I mean I will say like in terms of people looking for producers a good thing to look out for is is one yes people who are working but also people who have been um inducted into these kind of tastemaker circles like if it's Sundance or Refinery or Cinereach or San Francisco Film Society yeah if they've worked with those places because honestly how I was able to build a producing career 
is also by referral. Yeah. I haven't actually applied for anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, I produced the one thing. And because that went well, that's how I got three and a half minutes, 10 bullets from doing three and a half minutes, 10 bullets. That's how I produced the Rachel divide, which is a documentary that came out uh, 2018 on Netflix premiered at Tribeca Film Festival. Cool. And that was because Julie Goldman, who I worked with on three and a half minute, put me up for the Rachel. Exactly. Divide. It's you know always I mean? so internal. And that, and that's the thing I was telling my dad, I think it's like, I can't remember the last time I've had to send someone a resume for a job. It's just like, well, the person who recommended you, we trust and like, and so that's it. That's enough for us. Absolutely. Somebody asked me for a resume a few weeks ago and I was like, oh shit. I, I got to like, put create one. one. <laughs> I got to put one together. <laughs> I haven't done one since yeah. like so Five years. How would you define a producer? Um, Are there enough words? Okay, so my version of producing is, and I'm talking like capital P producing, you are involved at every stage of the process. If you are, let's just say, producing a scripted feature film, if you have a producer credit, I interpret that as you either helped find the story Maybe it's based on an article or you just read the script at an early stage of development or some very early iteration of this idea. You came on board and you oversaw the entire process to the point that like you weren't done until you were sitting on American Airlines and your movie came (laughs) up as an option to view. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so in everything that happens in between. And so that basically means being actively involved. So not like, oh, it's post-production. I don't need to be that involved. I'll just see a cut. You know what I mean? Like you are helping to guide and troubleshoot at every phase of the process. So for development, that's giving feedback. You know, that's notes. That's in the weeds of the script, whatever the script requires. If that I've gone page by page with writers, I have also given broader notes for people who don't need like that kind of like very specific Mm -hmm. feedback. Um, That's assembling your team for post-production, all your department heads, your line producer, finding the financing, the cast. If you are not on set the every day, you are at least at least 50% of the time that is overseeing post-production, helping to find the editor, find the post-production supervisor and troubleshoot the problems as they come about. Whether that's a director who feels like, you know, we're midway through and he feels like he doesn't have enough time. So what are we going to do? Are we going to try to, if you're doing this independently raise more money if you're doing it with a studio are we going to approach the studio and ask for more money or are we going to talk the director off of the ledge and tell him he does have enough time and and boost his confidence to a point where he feels like he can do it you know (laughs) what I mean like what are you doing to solve those problems as they come up in post and then overseeing with the studio or whomever, the distribution strategy. If that's an indie film, like the festival strategy. If it's like at the distribution stage, then that's working with the studio to oversee marketing, publicity. What is the plan? Does this plan make sense? What is the date? Mm-hmm. If there's anything I learned working at Focus is that your date of release is just as important as literally anything else. Yeah. So it's really an all-encompassing position. And I feel like if you do one thing that is instrumental within that scope, I don't know if it's a capital P producer credit. It might be a co-producer credit yeah. or an exec producer credit or an associate producer credit. But if you're not involved in all phases, then I don't know. I feel like that's what producing is. Yeah. You know, but that's not to say like your UPM is super important, right? Yeah. And that's a producer track position. But do they deserve a producing credit 
a capital P credit if they're only involved in production. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's just so unique to each production and how it's set up. If your UPM was doing eight people's jobs because it's so low budget, then yeah, I do think right. that it warrants that because those three months were instrumental in the same way that development was and post would be. But if you are just coming in and working under three other producers and literally your only job is to run that set and make those deals, I don't think it warrants that credit, but I don't think it excludes that UPM from being invited and involved to all of the amazing things that come when that film gets released. Right. Early on when I was doing Autism in Love, the EP of that was not really in the business. And so he would look at other projects as an example and he would say, well, this project had this amount of EPs and this amount of producers and what did they do? And I would say, I honestly can't tell you what they did. I can guess based on their credits, but I don't know for a fact. I wasn't there. I'd have to literally call up probably the line producer and be like, hey, like, who were all these people? What were their contributions? No, totally. You know, and it's so hard to explain that to people. A hundred percent. It's like the producing credit is that complicated for that reason. Like all projects need something different. I mean, to our earlier point about like, What are you used to doing on set? Okay, well, this is what you're going to do on this set. Mm -hmm. You know, like every project is different and needs something different. And especially at the lower budget level, like what we require of people will most likely go above and beyond what their titles even suggests, you know. So, you know, for so for like the last black man in San Francisco, our line producer also has an exec producer Mm -hmm. credit for very much that reason. Yeah. It's asking a lot of you in a short amount of time. So and you're wearing like a few different hats and dealing with certain things that a line producer on a bigger budget movie with more resources wouldn't deal with. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I totally hear you on that and certainly understand what you're saying about like bridging this gap between in the movie making process between all these different phases of it and kind of the glory that everybody is able to have based on whatever they contributed to the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, like we have a core team of people on Last Black Man that are getting co-producing credits and associate producer credits. And one thing I always say to them is like, we need to strategically, strategically figure out how everybody else is going to win if this movie comes out and is like does what we hope it can do right because we already know the director is in a position to win right they're the number one person right to win like perhaps the writer and me are second right in terms of reaping the dividends of what a good movie can do the sad reality is that yes a lot of the other positions kind of can get lost and maybe not a lot changes for them right depending on like a bunch of factors, but like, how do we put ourselves in position to allow everybody to win? I feel like is an important thing because the public doesn't know, but right. we know <laughs> yeah. that this shit is hard and like, it requires so much of everyone. Yeah. It's really the right thing to do. This is not like a participation trophy yeah. <laughs> type of thing. This is like, no, that's a good point. You, yeah almost lost your spouse because you were fucking working 16, 18 hour days. You know what I mean? Like allowing us to pay you for 12, like whatever the situation. Yes, doing whatever it takes because you love movies. Because you took ownership, like it was your movie too. Mm -hmm. And so you should be able to win like everybody else. It breaks my heart that it's like all of the blood, sweat and tears sometimes is for not, you know, because somebody will just like, half be watching this movie while they're like scrolling through insta hey we all do it but it's 
it's rough just to educate people on like how many people are required to make anything, all steps of the process, all of it, not just production. Like by the time you're done, even on an indie film, it's like 200 people. Totally. more. Yeah. And that's like small, super small, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. What would you say is one um, misconception people have about producers? Um, I feel like honestly, like my mom, God bless her and my father who have been who were both very encouraging of my like various career pursuits between like wanting to be Janet Jackson when I was like nine, <laughs> like all the way to now. That is so cute. Like they have that. never, they've never been like, why would you do that? You know what I mean? Mm. But my mom like has no idea what I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. And I try to explain it to her every other month I think it comes up and to the point that I'm just like exhausted by it now oh my god maybe we should do like a producing guide for parents seriously in like a video that we can just send all of our parents and be like this is what I do it's like an animated YouTube video yes three to five minutes sign me up because girl I, I have the same thing I've been doing this 12 years and my parents still don't get it they think I'm the director of the of the thing and I'm like no yes my mom will tell people I'm the director sometimes. I'm like, yep. mom, no, I'm not the director. Then she's just perplexed by this industry. She's like, I feel like you're never getting paid for the things you're doing. <laughs> or if I have a really big meeting, she kind of like thinks that like we made it, like we yeah. hit the lotto. Like I'm like, no, my, like when I was meeting Zoe Saldana, I was like, oh my god, like are you gonna buy me a house? It was like, no, this is this is not this is very normal. This is very like brick by brick. This is just one exactly. tiny brick. Exactly, to build you that tiny, mansion. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we have literally a million bricks to go. Yeah. So I feel like my mom just is confused and perplexed by it in general because she's also just confused and perplexed by this business and how slow things. And happen and how much and perplexed and I'm right exactly (laughs) and how much you work you seem to have to do to get anything done and then other people I mean it depends like sometimes you meet directors who feel like producers are not creative and that is a sign for me that that's not the right partnership for me Mm -hmm. now it's one thing if I'm hired to line produce something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then I have no problem like doing the nuts and bolts because that's the job of the line producer. Right. But if you're looking for like a producer, then my expectation is that we're going to be partners and we're going to both have equal ownership over this project. Uh, and sometimes you do encounter creatives who do not want creative feedback. They want to create in a vacuum and just like, please handle the logistics and the paperwork yes. for me. <laughs> Other than that, like, I don't know if there are any other grand misconceptions honestly i feel like it's just more like people just don't know what it is mm-hmm. yeah they don't know well, even know what to think now they can listen to this podcast <laughs> and hopefully get like right, a little get an idea understanding. Yeah, <laughs> that's why i think it's so important to define it and talk about it it's like always evolving and amorphous and i think that's why it's so hard to articulate it's just a very bizarre world and so i i guess i don't fault our parents for being very confused <laughs> by it because sometimes like i said even we are like whoa what does this all mean no totally a hundred percent i mean so do you how do you practice self-care um self-care interesting foreign concept um no I'm honestly like you have caught me actually in a phase of trying to figure out this self-care thing um I was in San Francisco shooting the last black man in San Francisco basically the first half of the year yeah so I didn't get back to LA until mid-June that was you know production so it was just like hustle environment 
you're eating whatever. God bless our catering. It was delicious, but it was like, can we please get a salad in the yeah. mix? <laughs> like a broccoli, please, something like cauliflower, like yeah. anything but like these heavy sauces and very delicious, but like not healthy meals. So honestly, I got to LA feeling terrible. And a part of my self-care was promising myself that I would reconnect with people, friends and family. I went to a baby shower in Kansas City, like went to a few weddings, like just made a point of actually being present Mm. (laughs) in this here thing called life. Okay, good. That's good. It's a good start. Um, so that was step one of self-care was actually being present in my life. Step two, now I'm trying to like eat better. Like, oh God, like not French fries. Like I, I'm pretty sure I ate French fries at least twice a week, like for yeah. six months. Well, you look great. <laughs> Thanks. You don't look like you ate French fries that often. Thanks. Let uh, the record show to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, my insides disagree. Yeah. Um, and like also alcohol. You know, like Mm -hmm. a lot of wine during production. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just to help. Um, And then like, I just went to Toronto Film Festival. Good Lord. My liver was like, girl, we got to chill. You know, so I'm like trying not to drink for the next month. And yeah, just trying to take care of mind, body and soul. Really? Yeah. Like get the church, get it all aligned. Yeah. So those are the things that I mean, eating well, basically connecting with family and trying to fit in some type of exercise. Nice. I'm trying to start slow. My husband says that I like build a mountain and then I can't climb it Mm. by being basically like I'm climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Like that's my self care. Like, okay, I'm going to just start walking. (laughs) Do do a hike first. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like I'm just going to start by like walking. (laughs) And then I'm going to slowly work myself back into like doing yoga and being more active because, you know, it's like at this at this age, um, I feel like if you don't maintain fitness, it like goes away quickly. Yes. And so I don't want to go to a yoga class and like have to sit down <laughs> and be that person. Because even though they tell you it's OK, self-love, take child pose. Exactly. Right. After the sixth child pose, like I'd be like, OK, I'm just not ready for this. Yeah. So I'm trying to just slowly work up to it. Yeah. But it's hard because. And then I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for the next time things get chaotic. How do I maintain the things that I'm putting into practice now? That's really the trick. Let me know when you figure it out. It's so hard. That's the thing that, like I was saying earlier with the extremes, is that it's like this hurricane that no matter how much prep you've done, how much water you have and food in the pantry, like it just takes over your life. Yes. That's one of the misconceptions, just how much energy is involved in every step of the process. But like when you are in in the production, it takes so much out of you. And then it takes, I don't know, three months maybe to recuperate from what it takes out of you. And then just in that, that's nine months of your life. Yes, absolutely. I'm honestly holding on to this idea that as the budgets increase for the things that I'm doing with more help, yeah, like more balance will be possible. Yeah. That's honestly what I'm hoping. I don't know if that's a lie, 
but that's what I... Well, it all depends on you. Producers tend to not want to... It tends to be difficult to like delegate and let go of control a little bit, especially if it's something that you've developed for so long. And when you get to that part of the process, like you want to be the one to do it, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. You want to be there for that. You don't want to be the person who spent three years and finally you get this into production and you're like, oh, I'll just come by set once a week because you miss out on that. It's like FOMO almost. (laughs) It is really and truly like I'm in the process of talking about starting a family with my husband. And it's crazy to think that like the release of this movie is in my mind. And I'm like, I don't want to be nine months pregnant and like go into labor and then miss the premiere. You know what I mean? Like, because this has been four years in the process. Mm -hmm. Like, what like and then come all this way to miss it what if we go to Sundance and then we can go to Cannes damn it I don't want to miss Cannes you know what I mean like it's crazy to think that those kinds of things come into your mind but but then it's like what what do you choose it's either your life your personal life or your professional life I know and I think at this point I've been at a point of putting my professional life first for too long that I have to now prioritize my personal life at least for the next few years or mm-hmm. in, in any way that I can and understand that means like I will be pregnant in Atlanta if this other thing that I'm doing goes right <laughs> okay so it's like prioritizing personal there's but no not completely time. there's this is never gonna exactly be, yeah. but it's it's really hard and especially for women you know mm-hmm. if I was a man I don't know that I would even have to think about Ever. this no you know someone else would have the baby for you exactly you would just have to not go to set the day that your wife is in labor yes Oof, oh my god which Gotta reminds leave, me guys. yeah my production designer on the last black man in San Francisco who had done American Paradise which is a short film that me yes, and Joe made together love, by the way I always which reference you can see that. on Vimeo um, yeah, I'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> I do truly love that. I always reference that in Last Black Man in San Francisco and how I think it's such a brilliant way to to tell a story about a feature that's not a scene from the feature. I think it's brilliant. Thank you yeah, so much. So y'all should check it out. Yes. Um, but my production designer who did American Paradise, who we had built a relationship with love, definitely wants to do the, the, the feature with, ran into the exact this exact problem. She was pregnant nine months pregnant she went into labor on our tech scout oh. for the movie oh my had her baby and showed up to set a week later because she had been working with us for so long she didn't want to miss it she didn't want to miss it oh. and then her mother and her husband basically came in a minivan every day and had the baby in the minivan close to set so that she, she could can breastfeed Yes, so that she could breastfeed and bounce back and forth between set and taking care of her newborn baby. But I bet you she was happy. She got to have the best of both worlds. Yeah. Because that's the thing in all the books I've read, you know, the Sheryl Sandbergs and Lean In and all those books. It's, it's, you can have it all, just not all at once. Yes. I think it was Amy Poehler's book that she said, no matter what, you always feel guilty. If you're at home with your kids, you'll feel guilty you're not working because it's where you've come alive as a individual not as the title of a mother and when you're at work you feel guilty because you can't be a mother right i don't know if men have that dilemma even though they don't birth children i don't know if working men feel that like separation and if they struggle with that i'd be curious i w- am curious too i'll be curious to talk to my husband once we do is God he in the willing, business, have, actually he is now he when we met was going to law school so he worked as a lawyer for some time and then We both lost a parent probably a year apart. And I think him losing his mother 
forced him to really reckon with his own mortality and in that reckon with what is he doing with his life mm-hmm. and is he happy he's always been a creative since we first met he had wrote written a script in college but just came from a middle class black family that really pushed like the accountant doctor lawyer yeah <laughs> you know what i mean agenda and so all that to say he is now pursuing his dream which is to write for television yeah and so of course i'm here helping him along the way yeah so we're both creatives now i was like wait a minute how did this happen? You're supposed, <laughs> you're to, be supposed to be the financially secure one. <laughs> oh, God. It's so funny just when you think you've got it all figured out. Life throws you a curveball, but life throws you the curvest of the ball. You know, producers are, I think, the people that are best equipped to handle it because everything we do is dealing with curveballs. And I do think that there is this fascinating breed of humans who are drawn into this very chaotic field that we've chosen. And the more I do these interviews, the more I start to see this like oh, we all kind of crazy. Like there's a little like level of just not legal insanity, but you know, just this daring to live life to the fullest and try and not be afraid to fail, even though you will fail and it sucks like to just keep moving forward because you don't know anything but forward. Yeah. So then somehow those kinds of people find their way into producing. Yes, totally. I feel like anybody whose brain is like constantly actively also just like parsing out stories and like i find myself seeing an article i can't help but go is can this be a movie same you can't help but like i don't know if it's intuition or just a little voice inside of you that is just always like pressing forward like you're saying you hear a million no's but something in you just can't stop there yeah you have to keep yeah forced into existence yes force it into existence and it's like i'm super calm and so i've honestly been trying to reconcile like why the fuck why does this appeal to me yeah i'm like a libra balance calm like that's usually my thing yeah i would like to see you on set you seem very calm i'd like to see you in that i feel like the ability to stay calm in the eye of the storm kind of thing is i feel like why it's appealing to me Hmm. like something about like chaos but like being able to like manage your way through chaos feels like success to me. Yeah. And I feel like I'm good at that. So it's a challenge. Yes. Because as we know, set is most of it is personalities. Yeah. <laughs> and like getting all the personalities to play nicely <laughs> together yeah. can be the biggest challenge sometimes. But yeah, I, I try. I honestly am like, why am I in this crazy ass business sometimes? Because I really do enjoy calm and this business is nothing but calm. No. But I think people do seem to enjoy working with me because I can bring calm in the midst of like chaos. Yeah, I could see that. So that's what I'm going with. <laughs> what do you what do you love about it? What keeps you bringing back? Um, I do still love the creative at heart. Like the stories are what drives me. And I remember, I can't remember if I was talking to Stephanie Elaine or if she, I heard her speak somewhere. Stephanie Elaine's another producer, produce yes. Boys in the Hood. Amongst, dear White People. Yeah, Dear White People, amongst other amazing things. But she was saying like, if you're not willing to like refinance your house to pay for the gap in financing that you need for that movie, then don't do it. And I don't think she meant that literally. Though I think she did do that for Hustle and Flow, <laughs> which is why this came up. But I think she also has two houses. So <laughs> she's doing okay. So she all right. Um, <laughs> so I'm not I'm not advocating any broke person, myself included, to do this. Yeah. Um, but I think what she was ultimately saying, like, it, unless you're willing to, like, lay on the tracks for this, unless you're willing to, like, like, you can't breathe unless this is being made, like, 
then you shouldn't do it because the work that is going to be required of you to do it, it just becomes not worth it. Not worth it. And it's time you don't get back. Yes. And it's time you don't get back. And I learned that very quickly in the early year of my career being like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do anything for experience. And that like did not last very long because mm. the need and want for experience will not sustain just the mental and physical exhaustion it takes to do this shit. So you have to love it. And so at the core, I still love, that's what drives me to do this is the storytelling aspect yeah. and being able to kind of like shape stories in the larger narrative of like talking about our culture and like what's happening today, what's important. Yeah. Hopefully guiding values, right? Yeah. And like changing society. I mean, for all that is Bill Cosby today, the Cosby show was still monumental uh, for, I think, black culture in the 80s. You know, like yeah. I think the gay rights movement was greatly aided by Will and Grace and like Ellen. People coming into your living rooms and no longer being the boogeyman because now here they are and they seem nice. And oh my God, they talk to their families well, and the and, problems are normal once yeah and everybody goes through the same things once we give a voice to the, like the underrepresented the things that we think are so so separate from us but the more you realize i mean science tells us we're i don't know what the stat is but 99 percent identical humans the one percent variance is what gives us our personalities our skin color our ethnicities all that right. other stuff so they are humanized and it's like oh this is no different than what i feel this yep. is no different than what i go through exactly a hundred percent absolutely yeah. those are the things that like guide me to do this specific work yeah same i think i think it's I, important. and i equate it to like having a baby like i like these projects are like your babies mm -hmm. when you're in development. It's like you're pregnant with this idea, you know what I mean? And you're excited about the potential. And then like pre-production begins the contraction. And you're <laughs> like, Holy shit. What am I doing? What I regret I everything. <laughs> I don't know. I about this. Drunk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know, production is just full on labor. Like yeah. you're just like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah. And I'm never doing this again. And then you finish the movie and, you know, that's basically the kid's like two years old and you're just, you're like, oh my God, he's so cute and look at him smile <laughs> and his little dimple and you're so excited and you're like, oh my God, I want another one. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you could immediately forget the trauma. <laughs> yes, that's a great metaphor. <laughs> but that is, I think, why I keep coming back to doing it because mm. believe you me, I like, will get on some Google and look up another career in a second. But like, I'm just like fake doing it to appease myself in the moment because I yeah. know that there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. Yeah. If you knew what that was, you'd probably be doing it. Yeah. And believe yeah. you me, I have looked. Yeah. Or I believe you because I have looked too. Like, <laughs> Especially in my 20s. I looked hard and often. Yeah. And just could never find anything that I thought would be as fulfilling. So what advice would you give to the people listening who are contemplating pursuing this crazy uh, path? Well, one, I will say, like, on a very specific level, I think, like you said, American Paradise to the last black man in San Francisco is a good model for anyone who is trying to make mm -hmm. a small movie with a first time feature. And we took that idea in three years from basically thinking we'd make it independently to making it with Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's company, and yeah. A24 is the studio who financed it. And I think very strategic 
uh, decisions along the, the way, like yielded that result. Not saying it could be easily duplicated. I pinch myself all the time that it even happened to us. But I think a part of it at the core was like never taking anything lightly as it related to the project. Like literally everything we did that represented the project, the lookbook, the Kickstarter campaign, you know, like the script, the investor packet, like everything was like do or die. We we treated it as if the project was going to like not exist if this wasn't perfect. Yeah. There was nothing incidental. The website, you know, there was nothing incidental or good enough. It was like we all had to be extremely excited about it and feel like it truly represented the project like beyond what we could have yeah. initially imagined. It's exceptional. You know, it's one of those things where I look at a lot of, read a lot of things and watch a lot of things and I still remember that website and I reference it to other people and I send them the short and I say, this is a good example. And it's like, I'm not involved. I get nothing from it. That is, I think, the bar of where things need to be nowadays. Yes. To get recognition from a plan B or an A24, to get those kind of players saying, yeah, we'll give you a shot. Yeah, we'll take a chance. Yes, taking it seriously and understanding like you're not getting no's because your stuff isn't good. The problem is it's probably good. It's just not great. And so how do you separate yourself Mm -hmm. from a lot of good material that's out there in the digital era of YouTube Vimeo where everybody has a short film? How do you cut through the noise? And you cut through the noise by trying to put put something exceptional together and not stopping short of anything exceptional. So that's what I was my advice for getting a project off the ground. Um, And then if you are interested in producing, I feel like. You just need to be producing, you know, like and however that comes to you, if that means like I remember I was talking to this one producer who got her start producing by going to like UCLA, USC, meeting the director students in the MFA programs there and being like, hey, do you need a producer for your thesis? Of course, they're like, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> we need help. And she produced like five short films just yep. between those two colleges. And that's how she got her start. You need whatever you need to do to get your start, to get something on your IMDb page, to get something up on Vimeo that you can say, I produce this from start to finish, like you, that you need to do it. Yeah. You got to have that hustle blood in you. You do. You, have you really to. just have to go balls to the walls and think, where is the need? It's being an entrepreneur. Where is the need and how can I meet it? You know? Exactly. It always reminds me of this, um, this famous Iron Glass quote about taste. Have you ever read that quote? Mm-mm. I read it like once a week because it's amazing. But what he talks about is that when you set out to do something, you have this taste. And that's the thing that gets you in the game is your taste for this thing. You see movies, that's your taste. That's the bar for what you want to do. But along the way, you have to make a lot of shit that gets thrown out before you get to that. And so people get disappointed and they get discouraged and they kind of like say, well, maybe this isn't for me because they're just just good. It's just mediocre. And it's not just being the creative, like a writer or an actor or a director. It's also as a producer, you, you it'll take years of producing some stuff that maybe isn't great to get to that next level because the taste is what he says. The thing that got you in the game is still there. It's still killer. If you can push through to the other side, like there are, there is a lot to be gleaned from that. But most people, because of fear, yep. they just don't. Right. Any town you're in, I think anywhere in the world, unless you're in some very remote place and you're listening to this podcast and that's legit as hell. But like there is a film community in some place. There is a commission board. There is a film school. There is something where these creative people are gathering and trying to figure out how to make things. Find that. Infiltrate it. Be the best at it. A hundred percent. And rise up. Yeah. Totally. And yeah, fear is a motherfucker. So 
So kill that motherfucker. Yeah, basically, because <laughs> it's real. I feel like my biggest misconception about fear was that somehow the people who had made it must not have had that problem. Mm. But that I don't think that's true at no. all. I think those people just get through it. You get However, through it. Yeah. you know, I think who you are shows up in the face of fear. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we all feel it every day. It's the most basic human emotion, fear and love. That doesn't go away. You get to choose how you're going to live your life. And that comes up every day. Totally. Who am I going to be? How am I going to show up for myself and for others? Either it's going to come from a place of love or from a place of fear. Right. And no one's perfect. Not every day can you just like wake up and be in that headspace. You know what I mean? But I think recognizing it be like, oh, okay, shit, I'm having one of those days today. So what do I do to like get myself back up? Maybe I don't leave the house. Maybe it's ice cream. Whatever the thing is that totally. makes you feel a little bit better so you can, I don't know, our world just needs a lot of that right now. Just injecting Ooh, love Oof, into the world. Another podcast. <laughs> another podcast for another time. But but I don't know. I, I've been feeling this for a long time that how do we as producers and the power that we have with every step of the process inject a little bit of love and a little bit of compassion and just a, a little bit of generosity so that we can as a whole be a better society. It starts with your community and hopefully it grows from there. So yeah, agreed. That's my goal. Yeah. So well, thank you so much. This is so fun. Yeah, thank you. Of this course. This has been a ball. I'm yeah. like, girl, we're going to talk five more hours. Girl, about- I know. This is actually <laughs> the longest show I've done. This is two hours. And I was like, there's so much more to talk about. There is. I'll be like, we her, her interview is going to be like eight, an eight parter. <laughs> it's like an audiobook. Season two. I'll be back. Season, Season two. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. No, so cool. Thank you so much for tuning in and doing this live thing with me week after week. Hey, if you have not already, please tell a friend, tag a friend. If you love the show, go on iTunes, subscribe, rate the show, give me five stars, write a review. All of that helps grow the show's visibility and helps support the community that we are growing. I'm at Carolina Gropa, the show's at Life with Kaka, and I'll see you next week. Beijos.